1: It's time to talk Sixers. Simmons off balance
0: and an incredible bank shot is good.
1: Here on the broadcast, the official podcast of Sixers.com.
0: B drives down the lane. He goes in and slams it. Oh, man. What a play by B. Now, here's today's episode. A new day, an opportunity for the 76ers to move forward after a tough loss in Milwaukee on Sunday night. Brian Seltzer welcoming you into the latest edition of the broadcast. Thanks so much for checking it out. Our guest on this episode of the podcast, it is going to be excellent to sit down with the one and only Bob Cooney, morning man. Well, now he's a morning man, a really early morning man, on our flagship station for Sixers radio broadcast, 97.5 The Fanatic. You can hear him each day from 6 to 10, and you'll hear from him and his thoughts on the state of the Sixers in just a matter of moments. A reminder that to subscribe to the podcast, you can go to a couple places. You can go to iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher. Type in Sixers Podcast Network. We also have our own SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com backslash Sixers. Sixers with 19 games to go in the season. They're in the thick, obviously, of the Eastern Conference playoff race as of Monday in sixth place with a record of 34-28. and 28. Always a good opportunity, regardless of the stage of the season, to touch base with Bob Cooney. Now an early morning riser as a part of the Fanatic morning crew. And selfishly, Bob, a hard adjustment on this end. Not being able to see around in person as much. How you doing? I'm doing well, Brian. How are you? I'm good. I'd even say great because, I'll tell you what, Sunday nights, I was doing the post-game show on 97.5 The Fanatic, And I will tell you, I don't think I have a better, more enjoyable experience on the air than the nights when I get to hear a Bob Cooney-voiced Ferguson commercial (laughs) running (laughs) on the station. (laughs) I'm sure
1: sure it's the highlight of your life. (laughs) No,
0: there is the enthusiasm that is booming out of the speakers. you got to
1: bring it, right, Bri? You know
0: what it's all about. Uh, Well, there was lots of energy with that. There was lots of energy at the start of Sunday's game for the 76ers. Yes, there was. And there was also a lot of energy at the end. It was just not on the 76ers side of things. Um, it was a strange game. It was kind of like if you can remove any rooting interests, an entertaining game for sure. A lot sure. of star power. Turnovers. Here we are again.
1: Yeah, it's, it's the way they come, Bri, I think. It's not, uh, you know, can you live with a turnover when you're trying to run a play and the defense makes a good play on it, maybe a deny in the post or something like that? All right, you can live with that. But but when you're trying to break a, an 8 nothing run and you try to throw like a cross-court, one-handed bounce pass through traffic, uh, that I don't think Brett can live with. Um you know the silly things, uh, maybe Joel trying to throw a fancy pass or something like that. Like you can't live with those. He's going to have to live with. Um, Joel's going to turn the ball over a lot simply because his ball handling isn't there yet. He's still raw in that in that area, I believe, because he hasn't he hasn't played a lot of basketball over the last five years. And I think the last thing to come is always your ball handling. And I don't just mean dribbling. I mean the passing. I mean just handling the basketball. So they're going to have turnovers there, but. Uh, I I didn't like the way they played with a lead, quite frankly. They still kept the up-tempo a lot, even if 21-point lead, 19-point leads, and they kept staying up-tempo. I think there could have been a way they could have slowed it down a little bit, and uh, maybe that would have prevented some turnovers, and it surely would have taken some time off the clock.
0: For as ridiculous as the Sixers' run was to start the game, When the game's played at this level, you know the opponent's going to make a run at some point. And you thought that maybe that midway stretch of the second quarter, you were like, maybe that was it. Because it seemed like the Sixers got it back to a comfortable point, end of the first half, 12-point game. And then the way that Ben and the team came out to start the third quarter, you're like, all right, they're rolling. But on the road, high stakes. And I, I think the desperation factor, you could see Milwaukee really knew it needed to get that game, having lost four in a row. And their guy led them to it.
1: Yeah, yeah, he—he's an amazing talent. Kumpo is, and uh, yeah, it was—it was—it's um, odd. Like we've seen it many times. I've seen it through the years. I covered the NBA. You have also. When a team jumps out to that lead, you expect the other team to make a run and come back and get into it. Uh, and and Milwaukee did that in the first half. To do it twice is odd. Right. So so the the, the fact that they did it the second time, here's where I think the Sixers are going to have some problems, Bry. And and it certainly seemed to be uh, the case on Sunday night. At one point they had Ursan uh, Ilyasova, you have Darius Saric, you have um, uh, Marco Bellinelli on the floor at the same time. Not three guys that are really quick foot, you know, which, which is fine. Uh, but so it, it seemed to me that the defense, defense's design was, all right, let's run the three-pointers off the line, get out there, don't allow three-pointers, and, and make them, you know, beat you with the dribble drive where you have Joel Embiid in the back, wherever it is. They did do that, but Milwaukee converted like every time. And there was a lot of three-point plays in there, a lot of baskets and fouls. So, uh, you know, you're picking your poison. Are we letting up three-pointers or are we running them off the three-point line? And when they did allow three-pointers, Milwaukee shot a pretty good percentage there in the second half. And then it went the other way where... um, Onto Takumbo would would drive a lot, and he found like Zeller. Why Zeller's having a game? But that's what happened because you're you're driving in odd man situations, two on ones from the lane on down, and Embiid's stuck. Does he go after the ball? Does he play off? And 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 I think that's where your your comeback uh, came from from Milwaukee.
0: Obviously, um, and it's you know I want to get into the whole Embiid playing his 82nd game thing in a little bit. He's been terrific this year. Ben Simmons breakout. You can see the potential that he's got um, but you look ahead where there's someone like Giannis and first of all amazingly he's only 23 I kind of oh. uh, you know I was looking some stuff up last night and I was like maybe this guy's like 24 25 no he's still only 23 years old unbelievable um, and you're like he has that gear where it seems like he's been in the league long enough where he can have a stretch like he did late in the third quarter where it's total I'm a star, I'm going to take the game over. And while we've seen that in flashes with Ben and Joel, it's like it's neat to kind of think out and project given how young and relatively inexperienced they are. They get a couple more seasons under their belt you know, that seems like it's something that comes over time where you can really start to right. impose your will over an extended stretch of a game.
1: I, I, I absolutely think so. Uh, in, in Let's go Ben's case first. He's going to have to develop a shot. We all know that. In, in order for him to take over a game, he's going to have to develop a shot. He can still take over a game even without it. Uh, I, I think, you know, people who say, a defender, all they have to do is back off of him and, and he can't do anything. Well, no, he can drive the ball right at your chest and then still beat you around the basket because he can use both hands. So... I think for him to consistently be a guy that can close out a game, he's got to develop that 10, 12, 15 footer, and I, I don't see that being a problem moving forward. Joe's problem right now is simply his ball handling. You know, he, he he's a wonderful shooter. I, I I still think offensively and defensively. He's like a five-year-old soccer player where wherever the ball is, he wants to be. And that'll come with maturity. You know, stop running after the basketball. Get where you're supposed to be. Post up, whatever it may be. Get there. Stay there. If the ball comes to you, great. If it doesn't, you know, then you're on to the next adventure. But um, both of those guys have the tremendous ability to take over a game now. And as their games grow in the cases that I just mentioned, it's going to be mind-boggling to watch them.
0: Sunday, Milwaukee, a tough one for the squad, but as we step back a bit and look a little bit more big picture, less granular to borrow an oft-used Brett Brown word, Sixers right now 34-28. and 28. They are in the middle of the pack in a very tight Eastern Conference. I mean, it really is crazy, just two games out of third which is held by Cleveland, uh, and then a game and a half in front of Miami for eighth as we speak now. And then there's Detroit, which is four games behind Miami for eighth. So it seems like at this point with 19 games to go, Sixers look like they're going to be in it. Um, did you think that we would be in a conversation talking about the possibility of home court advantage with 19 games to <laughs> it, go in the year when things started back in October?
1: It's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. And and in talking to people where uh, the reactionary thing after Sunday night's game against Milwaukee, the loss is, what the hell's going on here? You know, part of that stuff. You say, well, all right, sit back for a second. Realistically, this could be a 45-win team. This could be a four seed in the playoffs. Tell me you wouldn't have signed up for that before the year started. You know, exactly. So, uh, you know, I was on this like 38-39 win uh, um, before the season started. That was kind of my prediction, players getting used to each other. So they're exceeding where I thought they were going to be, um, which all in all lends you to say it's been a successful season, successful season. I think it's, you know, they've had a little tough stretch here. They've got three more games on the road, if I'm not mistaken, three straight on the road, right? Three so, more, yeah. yeah, after Milwaukee. And yeah. then I believe they close out, I want to say something like, 10 of their last 16, maybe 11, are at home. They have a nice home stretch to finish the season. I think that's going to bode really well for them. I, I really, I was going through the schedule like I was doing the Eagles thing, like game by game, win, 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 loss, win, loss. So I think it's going to really
0: play out well for them, and a fourth seed wouldn't surprise me, Bri. Well, listen, you've been doing this forever, and you know, like I kind of thought to talk about, well, this is an easy portion of the schedule coming up. was a little bit overblown because, yeah, the opponents weren't quite the same caliber that we saw for the first half, two-thirds of the season. But if you look at the way the schedule's structured, just how condensed and packed in the games are after the All-Star break. I mean, the last two weeks, and then you throw in guys like Ben, Joel, and Dario, who were actually out in Los Angeles for the All-Star game. I mean, I think it was out of 25 days, the Sixers might have physically been home in Philadelphia. This is going through this coming Sunday's game at Brooklyn. I think maybe they've been at home or will be at home for about four days yeah. total, because yeah. it's like you have that three-game road trip end with a back-to-back that you play at home against Charlotte, and then the next afternoon you're on a flight to Milwaukee and you're on the road for another eight days. It's crazy.
1: Yeah, it It is, and it's it, and you know, and you and I have done the travel on that. It's hard. It's really, really hard to do. Uh, it doesn't matter your opponent. That's why I thought, Bri, the uh, – so the Cleveland win was a great win in Cleveland. Obviously, mm-hmm. all that that entails. The next night to come home against Charlotte, mentally and physically that's a really really tough hoe because you just beat lebron james and all everything that was surrounding you know all of that that's mentally fatiguing uh, let alone the phys- physicality part of it you know that it that it takes to come back and play the next night to get behind and i'm watching i'm thinking you know what, maybe this is just one you got to chalk up. And they made a great comeback, and they played well, and they played hard. And I thought, Ursan Ilyasova, who you know I'm a huge, huge proponent for, uh, was really good, like stepped right in, and he and Joel Embiid looked like they played together for 20 years. Uh, That, I thought, was a great stretch. And and I had to go back to those two games after the disappointment that I felt of the Milwaukee game. I had to say, okay, they just had a really good two-game stretch. Maybe this Milwaukee game was the one game where you say, all right, Those things happen.
0: And especially about the Cleveland and Charlotte wins, something that it seems like Sixers fans and followers of the team and, heck, probably people within the organization itself have been talking about for a good portion of this year is, how do we get to a point where we close out games? And they did it on the road against... Arguably the best player in the league, and then they had a massive comeback against the Hornets. So I actually wanted to cue up a cut. Uh, This was from Brett after the game, coincidentally enough, in Milwaukee. And then get your take on Brett talking about how things go with the way the Sixers are designed, especially trying to close late games out and that sort of thing. So here we go. We have a team that needs to free each other up. We don't have somebody, we're just going to give it to Giannis and he's going to dance, or Bledsoe and he's going to dance, or watch Jabari, you know, ISO on a wing, or Middleton, ISO on a wing. That's not who we are. Whatever we do, we have to get done as a team. We have to have violent cuts, we have to have adult screens, and we have to cut to meaning. Joel's the only real like let's give it to Joel and let him go to work type of guy and so you need body movement and team movement that's why we lead the NBA in passes we were second in assist percentages and the pass is king so you take what we saw Sunday night where Giannis goes totally bonkers and he pretty much put the bucks on his back and then you look at the way the Sixers got it done at Cleveland Thursday and versus Charlotte Friday I mean that is an interesting and juxtaposition that you got to keep in mind thinking about how things might play out going forward from here the rest of the season
1: yeah yeah i uh, it's funny listening to Br- to brett's cut there. But I know what he's saying. I, I I think it's for the greater goal, Bri. Like, the greater goal is to pass, pass, pass and move, learn how to play that game. The isolation can come when these guys get to be a little bit more veteran-like, obviously, uh, and we're talking about um, they're, they're such babies in this league. You know what I mean? They, they've hardly played any games on the grand scheme of things. So I understand what Brett's saying. Hopefully at some point they will incorporate that so that you can go to isolation, that you can break down a game, that you, if you need a basket from somebody, you have multiple people you can go to, and I don't think it's that far off. I
0: really do think it's right around the corner. We're recording this podcast on March 5th. If we turn back the clock one month ago, Sixers were right on the cusp of starting that big blitz and surge of the month of February. They were a 500 team before that long homestand started against the Washington Wizards. Do you think uh, this time a month ago the Sixers would have thought that they were going to go after someone like an Ilyasova. Um, I guess the roundabout kind of weird way that I'm asking this question is like, it kind of felt like they were going to make a move at the trade deadline or surrounding that if someone was bought out, Marco Bellinelli. Right. But do you think they might have even exceeded their own expectations going through that winning streak and getting as close up to home court advantage as they did? And that might have put the thought further in their mind to get aggressive and go after someone like Irsan. It's son. exactly
1: what I thought. It, okay. it really was, Brian. Was, I wasn't it was, just looking for validation. No, either. no, no, no,
0: no. Because
1: I, I really thought when it happened, what I said to myself was, wow, the Sixers are going, hmm, this could be fun. Like, let's pick him up. And you know what? Maybe instead of getting in at a good seed, And playing in the playoffs, maybe we get a better seed and maybe we can win in the playoffs. I, I, honest to God, I really thought that Brian Colangelo and, and how much Brett had to do with it. I thought that they were, I thought that the thinking at the time was, wow, we're playing really well. Let's add another piece. Let's, let's like see what we can do. It doesn't kill you, obviously, as far as anything. By taking these two guys on in buyouts, um, as I said earlier, I, I was a big I, I was a big proponent. I, I never liked that they traded Ilyasova last year, and I joked with Brian Colangelo about that endlessly to the point where he said, "All right, you can stop writing that now." <laughs> but uh, I, I just thought he was a great fit for this team last year, and so to bring him back, it did. It said to me in my head. I I, I said this out loud to a few people. I could just have seen Brian and Brett say, "Hmm." This might be fun to bring him back and see where we can go with it. And and I think they've, you know, majorly strengthened their bench because of it.
0: And you correct me if I'm wrong. I think it was even going back as far as the day after the end of the regular season press conference last year where Brian pretty directly and publicly said, Stretch 4 is something that we're going to have on our minds going into the offseason. And it yeah. worked great when our son was here. <laughs>
1: it did and I, again one of the reasons I just didn't understand really what they did but but they did what they did and that, that that's fine and and uh, I don't want to say they've corrected it but you know they revisited it. Let's put it that way and and I I just think to me and, and you and I did it together we watched practices with our son. It's not just games, it's it's practices and all. And he had one thing last year. He was in a little bit of a shooting slump, and he stayed after for over an hour. Over an hour, over there shooting and just shooting, shooting, shooting. And then I had somebody come up to me and say, you know, this is impressive because I was standing there watching. And I said, it is. For a veteran to stay, grind of the season, stay an extra hour. And the person that said to you said, no, it's even more impressive because his family just came in this morning, and it's the first time he's going to see them in six weeks. And as much as he wanted practice, get over and leave, he knew he had to put in his work first. And guys like Dario Saric see that. And, and, you know, guys, uh, Joel Embiid, younger guys, they see that stuff. And as much as he adds to them on the court, that's vitally important to the growth of this program.
0: Looks like he and Joel have been doing it for – Really does three games already this I'll year. I'll tell it's you, it is.
1: It's amazing, isn't it? Nice little give and go the other night against Charlotte. Little backdoor cut and pass by uh, by Joel, and then and then Sunday night when they were uh, playing Milwaukee, Urson uh, went down the lane and just a little shovel pass, or maybe it was Joel. One of them. You know, they they just look like they they're uh, very much in communication together on the floor.
0: And it's such a different spot now because the team is at a point where it can make a decision. Like, do we want to keep someone? such as Trevor Booker, who has a great track record. I, I thought he did well and sure, did, did exactly what, you what the team exactly. uh, asked him to do. Or do you make an aggressive push for someone like Ilya Sovyn? It's also kind of telling that guys, even going back as far as this summer, to J.J. Uh, J. Redick, when you hear veterans talking about, um, you know, the factors that appeal to them coming to the 76ers, uh, style of play is one, young talent is another. And then, especially between Redick and... Bellinelli and Ilyasova. It's like Brett Brown is at the top of the list, and you know, it pretty much speaks to, you could say, where his reputation lies. Yeah, in the
1: league. yeah. When when uh, when they picked up um, um, JJ during the summer, I met with him out in Vegas. He was nice enough to wait for. me. I was just landing. He was nice enough to wait for me. i texted him and all, and we talked. And I and you know, for a little, I just said why, and he, and he said uh, Brett. And he did. He just looked at me. Said Brett. He goes, listen, Bob. I had offers from many West Coast playoff teams, but I just thought that the best fit was here. I wanted to play with these guys here. I wanted to play for Brett, and that's that's big. And for all these people calling for Brett's head and all after a loss like uh, the one against Milwaukee on, on Sunday night, uh, there's a lot more to it than that, and, uh, and Brett's a big piece of it.
0: And I think that when you step back and, again, take a, a longer view, you know, if you get up maybe at 30,000 feet and view the situation. I mean, you know, August 2013, he's talking about tempo, three-point shooting, and more than anything else, defense. Right now, the Sixers are a top-five defensive team over the last month and a half. You could probably make the case, statistically at least, that they've been the best defensive unit, if right. not number one, number two in the league three-point shooting has been steady top 15 top 10 um and uh you know that the pace has been consistent as ever so I think from those three prongs um now that the talent has been able to be filled in you can see the vision being fulfilled
1: yeah and and now now that now when you even fill it more now the incorporation of scheme really comes into play where not just pace not just three point shooting, but specifically, what are you doing you know in certain situations because you have the ammunition that you can use to do what he envisioned you know I know Brett still has a lot of plays in his you know that he carries in his bag that he hasn't even been able to bring out yet so uh, there's still a lot more to Brett Brown as far as coaching goes, uh, I think um, but i I think he's done a wonderful job and it's not just the coaching on the floor it's the building of the culture, and you and I have seen it from day one. I I remember meeting with Brett over in Camden back in 2013 because he knew I was from South Jersey, asking me questions about where players might live when the facility was built in Camden, and talking about that. Like his vision was so long ranging. It wasn't X's and O's. It wasn't feeding in the post or shooting threes. And it's the culture has really come to where he envisioned. And it's uh, it's only going. I think I really do think this. It's only going to get better and better from here.
0: He's wrapping up year number five with the Sixers. Joel Bede has been with the organization for four years, but as of Sunday, completing his 82nd career game, 22.4 points, just under 10 rebounds, just under three assists, two blocks, and just under 30 minutes a game. I mean... It's tough to argue with that.
1: It is, and you know what I did? I went back and I looked at the first uh, year. Most of them were 81, 82 games of, like, Shaquille O'Neal, Tim Duncan, David Robinson, uh, a couple more guys, and he's absolutely right there. Like, he is right there with those guys. The one thing, if his numbers are down a little bit from theirs, and they aren't far, maybe some, I think Shaq was like 13 rebounds or 14 rebounds a game, Shaq played 10 more minutes a game than, than, uh, than Joel Embiid, like, those guys that came in, Robinson, Duncan, Shaquille O'Neal, they played close to 40 minutes a game their first year. Well, as we see in Joel's first year, which just ended the other night with 82 games, he's under 30. So he's putting up these numbers in like 10 minutes less time. So he's right there. Uh, uh, you know, it took a while to get there, but I think um, I think his progression will be exactly and probably surpass what uh, fandom had in mind when, when he was drafted.
0: I'm still trying to figure out what type of figure he's going to be in the context of the league. Obviously within the Delaware Valley beloved. Gets on the court. There have been some situations this year where you can tell it gets a little intense. Obviously, Russell Westbrook comes to mind. But Mm -hmm. then, you know, there's the moments like Cleveland Thursday night where he embraces LeBron. And you can see LeBron's eyes light up when he sees him. And even observing some of the stuff during All-Star weekend, his interactions with players, like that conversation that was caught on the sideline. Yeah, with Horford. Yeah, with Horford. And then, like, Kyle Lowry pumping him up. Yeah. I mean, he really does seem to uh, command a lot of respect somehow this quickly among some of the game's elite.
1: Yeah, it it is fun to watch. I think they see what he could be by watching him on the floor. And then they get to know him and they, they see just this unbelievably big personality that is so engaging and so attractive. Like, it's like a, a bug delights. Like, he's the guy you want to be around. You know, um, I think the Russell Westbrook stuff is fun. I think it's good. I You know, you're creating a rivalry. All right. You know, you want to be the big dog, you go after the big dog. So... I think it was neat that, that Joel decided to make that a, a, a personal thing. Um, nothing dirty or anything like that, but I, I like that. I like the fact two guys can go out there and, and um, so to speak, punch each other all night long and then afterwards you know, kind of smile and laugh about it. And, hey, I gave it my best. You gave it your best. Better team one tonight and, and then move on. So I think we're going to see a lot more of it.
0: And I do think that he and Ben have a nice yin-yang aspect to their personality.
1: I do. I, I think Ben's more the, you know, sit back, watch him, like, oh, my God, this guy's crazy. Uh, but they do play off of each other well. Yeah, I, I, Ben won't be the kind of guy I don't think that that's ever going to, you know, give the raise the roof and trust the process and come on, guys, get into it but but he'll subtly do things that'll get the fans, you know, like like really really into it. So, I agree with you. The yin and yang of it I think is a good good call on your part.
0: Like he'll give a long stare after a big emphatic dunk or yeah. something like that. Yeah, Nothing it's, it's overly qua- demonstrative.
1: No, no, it's 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 a, the subtleness is is there.
0: Um wanted to I think we talked about Ben's jump shot a little bit and not to uh belabor a point has it looked to you to the naked eye that there's been a little bit more of that first uh the last couple games i do yeah i think a little he's, bit he's, more?
1: yeah i think that 12 15 mostly 12 i think he's he's getting a little more comfortable taking it um i think he has to obviously um but yeah i i, I there's so many times though he he gives it up without even i think knowing that he gives it up like like he'll be a, a defender will back up and he's already looking to pass whereas if he was even thinking shoot As he's picking the ball up, he could just be like, oh, they're going to leave me? Let me pop this. So once he gets more comfortable with his shot and more confidence in it, I think we'll see it more and more.
0: Because I'm at a point where I'm trying to figure out how much of it is lack of confidence, how much of it is him just being so determined and believing that um, his drives are his highest percentage shots. Because I think it was two jumpers, he he made one of them, that he took on LeBron James um, in Thursday's game. So to me, that's like, all right. You're not going to take a shot like that at the elbow if you don't have some belief. You know, it wasn't like a rush shot clock situation or anything like that. But then in hearing him talk about it, because people do ask him about it a lot, he's just like, I just feel like my percentages and my odds are at their highest if I can, like, load up and just drive it inside because he's got that frame that he has. Uh, yeah, it's I, interesting. I don't know. Yeah,
1: I don't. I don't think it's a problem. I don't think that's a problem that he thinks. I mean, look, if if you're going to ask pretty much anybody, what's your highest percentage shot, they're going to say, oh, two-handed dunk down the lane is is pretty good." <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, he'll he'll get more comfortable with the league. He'll get he'll get more knowledgeable about. It. I think he's a pass-first guy, obviously. Um, so sometimes when that happens, you do pass up shots that you don't even know you're passing up. Uh, I think when he becomes really aware of that. Like like I said, when he's going to throw that pass and sees the defender backing up, that maybe all right. Let me hold this a half a second longer. I can make this shot, and then he takes it. Uh, that'll come. I think it'll come with playing time and and obviously with the confidence of making the shot.
0: What did you think his uh, splits were going to be this year? Turning back the clock to October.
1: Uh, I think I, I think it might be uh, it might be chronicled somewhere. I think I went something like 16, eight and seven. Oh, all right, that's... Like, I eight and six, something like that. And it was after preseason, after seeing him. Um, I'm pretty sure that I wrote it down, uh, that it is somewhere. But I, I, you know, this guy's just... The game's so easy to him. And it really
0: does he, look like that. <laughs> and
1: he just has a talent, Bri, that's like nobody else possesses. You know, he's... I remember the first time I saw him in Las Vegas and then interviewing people that played with him. They're like, look, yeah, he's 6'10", but you can't believe how fast he is. You can't believe how quick he is. You know, his handle is unbelievable. Uh, we see that stuff and we just think, oh, it's a 6'10 guy. Well, oh, it's cool. He can handle it. But no, he's got 6'1 guard skills. And um, and he's always around the basketball, you know, and it, it it does. The game just seems to come really, really easy to him.
0: Well, you can put someone like that down on the block and post him up. I mean, it's...
1: That's the isolation I was talking about too. You know, like you you can do that. You can you can run something opposite side where it looks like you're going to Joel and do a swing, swing, and then all of a sudden, oh, geez, there's Ben Simmons one on one on the block, and yeah, that's that's a, that's a nice mismatch to have. That's the greatest thing about this team right now. They get, anytime they go on the floor, they can have two of the biggest offensive mismatches in the league. Right. You know, no, you're absolutely and, right. and like that's cool. And you can make the argument say, oh, but when they double team Joe, you know, he turns the ball. Okay, but a double team is kind of what you want. And that's why they're surrounding him with three-point shooters, so that when he learns to catch the ball and feel the double coming, he can kick it out to the right player. Or it's a kick and a pass and a pass, and there's your wide-open three. So that'll all come. A double team right now is causing turnovers a lot with him and a lot of times with Simmons. But once they learn this game, it's going to mean a lot of different things in a positive way.
0: It's funny that sometimes you don't get to appreciate something about a player until you get to watch him firsthand and see it a little bit. Um, for me, guilty as charged, J.J. J. Redick didn't quite recognize and appreciate just how excellent he was off the ball, always doing things. I'll be honest, Bellinelli, kind of the same deal. Like yeah. He's moving often. He gets opportunities, driving to the basket. Um, I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's something between the two of them. You can really see... Now and watching Bellinelli for about a week and a half, two weeks, why they felt like they could just kind of throw him into the packages that they have for J.J. Redick and yeah. let him go to work. Oh, no
1: question. And it's, uh, I, I, I tell this story a lot. When, when the Sixers signed Redick, I went back and watched his high school state championship game his senior year. <laughs> you want to talk about constant movement? Oh, my God. Brian! I was tired watching him. <laughs> like, the kid never stopped moving. Never. I think he went off for 40. They were running everything they could at him. He just figurated through picks all over the place. Catch, shoot, boom. Catch, shoot, boom. He's been doing it all his life. And it, it really is, if you're really into basketball, isolate him a couple of times. Just when they go down the floor, just isolate him. And watch the work he puts in just to try to get off a shot. Just to try to get open for a shot. It's amazing, and then once he catches it, to be able to drain it at the consistency he does, it's it's it's. I, I JJ Redick was a guy when I was covering the league, Bry. That when I went to a gym, and you know me, I go out on the floor early. He was one of the guys that was must
0: see, watch, shoot before the game. He's just like the one that he had against the Bucks, where it was a transition play, I think. And ben oh, just the bounce! Get, yeah, bounce to him in the corner, pick unbelievable. It
1: up. Yeah. <laughs> like looks at the ball bouncing, but looks at his feet at the same time, making sure he gets behind, snatches it, and throws it. Like. That that comes from a lot of time in the gym.
0: Ridiculous. Yeah. All right, wrapping this up, um, what do you think we're going to be talking about in about five weeks from now?
1: Uh, five weeks from now, you're talking about how they match up with those Washington Wizards, mm. and you're going to say, uh, yeah, if they take the first two games, which will be played at the Wells Fargo Center. Okay. Uh, you know, they have a shot at advancing to the next series, which I hope will be against those Boston Celtics. All right. All right, how like do you like that?
0: Thinking. I dig. All right. I dig. Right. I want
1: that Celtics-Sixers rivalry back.
0: I think that that's, and people have been kind of getting around the storyline, and uh, I think that when, whether it's coaches or players have been asked about it, they kind of, at least from the Sixers side, have been reluctant to say, like, yeah, the rivalry is like kind of getting back, probably mostly out of respect to Boston because Boston sure. obviously has done a lot, but I agree with you. That would be fantastic uh, if it became a Sixers-Boston thing. And yeah. tell me the NBA
1: wouldn't love it. Right, Let young cores. Because you've had the West dominating for years, and you get this rivalry back on the East Coast. I mean, it, it would just—it's—it's it's NBA euphoria. Tremendous. Yeah.
0: Great wisdom, Mr. Cooney. Thanks, man.
1: You are the best, Mr. Seltzer. I appreciate you.
0: Big thanks to Bob for stopping by and hanging out on the podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. We'll have a day-after-game rewind edition of the podcast available on Wednesday following the Sixers stop in Charlotte for a 7 o'clock game on Tuesday night. So be sure to check your feeds for updates. Talk to you then. See you.